As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. To Hancock and Kelly here on Fox 2. Great to have you along on this day of, I don't know, could be changing weather. We'll see. On the right is John Hancock. Morning, everyone. You. And on the left right here is morning. Michael Kelly, and I'm John Brown. We begin this morning across the pond, shall we say, in the Britain. Boris Johnson will return to Downing Street. The Prime Minister and his Conservative Party secured the majority in the Good UK afternoon. general election. They I defeated the Labour Party in really a decisive win. On. The sweeping victory marks the biggest conservative majority in decades and puts the Brexit firmly back on track. Political reporter Max Foster breaks it down for us and we'll discuss the parallels for the 2020 race here in America. What an extraordinary night for Boris Johnson and his very clear message that he was the man to get Brexit done. It looks like that's how the public voted because even in areas that traditionally vote Labour where there's a big Brexit vote as well, there's evidence to suggest that those Labour voters who wanted Brexit switched to Boris Johnson and that core message about Brexit. So we can assume that Brexit is now going to happen. The debate is over. Boris Johnson is aiming at the end of January. Then he's looking, about, uh, looking at about a year's worth of discussions over a trade deal with the European Union. There's another issue here, though, that really bubbled up in this election, and that's the rise of the Scottish nationalists in Scotland who campaigned on a referendum for independence, something that Boris Johnson has dismissed. But there's a mandate for both, and that creates a real problem for Boris Johnson and the leader of the Scottish nationalists, Nicola Sturgeon, because they can't really compromise. That's going to be an interesting thing to follow. The opposition Labour Party, led by Jeremy Corbyn, had a disastrous evening. They're going to have to regroup. They're going to have to find out what they're about. And Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn really doesn't have a future as leader of that party. So a huge night in British politics, but it does seem to have loosened up that Brexit deadlock. Max Foster, outside Downing Street in London. <laughs> shot kind of looked fake. It's real, hey, but isn't that funny? Hey, that, that did kind of look fake. Did that guy kind of remind you of a British brown? <laughs> <laughs> huh? I thought that was old brown up there talking. Entirely unpopular. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this. So here, I find this interesting because the UK had an unpopular conservative incumbent, right? Yeah. So the left goes way left, puts in the socialists. Yeah. They get cleaned out. Yeah. Parallels to 2020. Well, one could say, Brown, that that was extraordinary. And, uh, you know, this was a landslide and an 80-seat majority. This was Margaret, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher, Thatcher level win. And, uh, and, and Boris was not expected to do this well. And, the and, polls didn't have it. And, and you're right in that he's not personally that popular in the U.K., uh, but he racks up this big win. And the labor went all in on the socialist tribe. And, uh, and it didn't work and uh, and I do think just as Brexit was a harbinger in 2016 for what became a Donald Trump surprise win uh, this thing is not well, insignificant there's there's lots to unpack here and you know let's not forget this election just wasn't about Corbin and and 
uh, Boris, it also was about Brexit. And he mentioned that in his package, that a lot of labor folks wanted to see Brexit, a return to more nationalistic, populist messaging, and who went out there and voted for it. So I don't know that this was some great adoration of, of Boris Johnson. Right. It was clearly a rebuke of Corbyn and the, and the Labor Party. Having said that, I think you're going a little too far to say this is a harbinger for the 2020 election because it's a vastly different system. This election's going to in the United States is going to come down to three or four states: Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, and maybe a handful of others. That it's going to, that's where this election's going to be decided. Donald Trump's not too popular in those places, uh, and we don't have a Democratic candidate yet. The lesson that the Democrats need to take from this is that the progressive candidates, your your candidate at the top, matters, and a lot of those folks who probably would have voted towards labor were very scared of the extreme left. And that's something that Democrats ought to be weary of as we face a potential Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. You know, I'm going to quote the great poet, Brown. Who you got? You remember the great poet, Stevie Nicks? Oh, yeah. Don't let the landslide bring you down, Kelly. <laughs> uh, because this, this is a major political movement going on. And it's not just in Great Britain. It's across the world. You've seen these nationalistic candidates winning in Australia and all throughout Europe. Uh, this bodes very well for Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, he's never going to be above the low to maybe mid-40s in popularity. Putting, putting aside the Democrat, Republican, the two elections, isn't Britain, though, setting itself up to the wrong side of history? The world's not getting smaller. They're trying to shrink their borders and get back to just them. The reality is the world continues to move and expand, and they're isolating themselves. I guess it's a little easier for the United States to isolate itself, not really, than Britain. But Britain's in deep well, peril yeah, and, by being separated so, by the... You know, European. I looked at Brexit from the standpoint of a, uh, of a trade situation, that they want to get out of the EU and, and be more autonomous economically. That's kind of what I thought. Talking to a friend that lives there, the real undergirding of the popularity of Brexit wasn't trade. The real popularity was immigration and the fear that they were losing control of their borders. And, and it was that, really, if you look at what pushed Brexit over the top, it was the fear of rampant immigration, more so than it was the you, trade relationships with Western Europe. If you look through history, when history teaches us what's going to happen, people who go back to the isolationists become irrelevant. And if you want to lead the world, Great Britain, that kingdom's over with. We started to see that deterioration when we went and saved them in both World War One and World War II. Is that really the direction that we want to go, to go back to be insulary and go backwards? Because this world's expanding. It's going quickly. And those who lead and who are out there are going to be the ones who are relevant. And the policies of Donald Trump and Boris Johnson are isolationist back into their own countries. The parallels, I think, are uncanny, though. Like we said, unpopular conservative, right? Check. Charismatic. Check. Has a little trouble with the truth at times. Check. <laughs> right? On the left, so they went with a person, Jeremy Corbyn, who said his heroes are Fidel Castro and the leader of Venezuela. I mean, you look at the parallels here, and then he, when you look at the numbers, the left lost every single group but their most vocal, outspoken leftist followers. So you were talking about, okay, you got a Bernie Sanders. I mean, this, this does look so well, much like what we're and going that's what right I, now. Look, I think it comes down to personalities matter. Uh, we saw that in the last election. We've got a candidate on the other side, on the Republican side, who's a flawed human being. The American people know it. They're looking for a practical, reasonable alternative. 
That exists in the Democratic Party. Donald Trump's telling us every day with his two thumbs who he's afraid of running against, and that's Joe Biden. Mm. If Democrats want to win this election, we've got to understand that, yes, we can continue to push left and go for some of the social causes that we are always out there for, but beating Donald Trump and sending him back to wherever he claims to be his home is the most important thing. There is a danger in reading too much into social media. Because if, if you just look at social media, you would think that they're, all the Democrats are out there, socialist. And you'd think all the Republicans are, are radical national populists. Not true. That's not where the electorate is. And where the electorate is in this country, as it has been for decades now, it's a center-right electorate. But it's a center-right electorate. And, uh, and if you go to the extreme left, you know, God help you. You're not going to win. They win you a primary. They're going to win you a general. That's what Joe Biden he said. He seized on the news saying this is exactly what I've been warning you far left supporters about. He made some comments late Thursday night after watching the election results come in. Here's this quote I found interesting. Look what happens when the Labor Party moves so, so far to the left. It comes up with ideas that are not able to be contained within a rational basis quickly. And I think you talk about, you know, how politics move in a, in a progressive manner, and some people don't like that. But he made the point, if you want to get to where some of you leftist people want to get to, you can't do it all at once. And we know that on the conservative side, we know that on the, Republic, or on the Democratic side as well. Well, we have parties where we, we do have primary elections, so energized bases are what wins, win elections and primaries. At the end of the day, you've got to go compete for those votes of people who, think about this, voted for Barack Obama one day and Donald Trump the other. Those are people that you've got to be able to appeal to. I, I don't see it with a lot of the Democratic candidates. There are a couple of those candidates that can win that election against Donald Trump. We see it in polling day after day after day, but it's not necessarily where the base of the party is. And John, you're running to capture 10 to 15 percent of yeah. all Americans right now. Right. 10 to 15 percent. All the rest doesn't matter outside yeah. of the primary. Yeah, but you got to get there. And you got to get there. Right? I wonder if a candidate, and I'm sure she's not. But a candidate like Amy Klobuchar, who doesn't have Joe Biden's gaffe prone, or, or some of the, frankly, age concerns with Joe Biden, I wonder if a As candidate... As opposed to that young guy. Donald yeah, our, our young up-and-comer. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she... I wonder if a candidate like that gets a second look now uh, by Democrat. Probably not. Mayor Pete. Yeah. You see, I, you'll see people, I think... He's got some base Mayor vote Pete. concerns, although we're starting to see some of the polling change in South Carolina for him. You know... Joe Biden's weathered this storm. He hasn't really moved up. Yeah. He hasn't really moved down. The question is, is as the progressive movement has to pick between one or two, who is that second choice for folks who may support Bernie who, who winds up dropping out of the race or may, may support Elizabeth Warren? But Bernie, winds Bernie up goes out. to the convention, I think. I think Bernie goes all the way to the convention. And Warren, Hillary, I don't know. And Hillary steps in and takes the nomination? <laughs> no. Still to come on Hancock and Kelly. Remember the kids from Covington Catholic? They're back in the news. But they're in the news because the media failed to focus on the right thing as this was happening. We'll discuss the connection between why they ended up in the news in the first place and a mass killing in New Jersey. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for Adcock and Kelly. Well, they turned up the speakers in here. They must think you're getting oh, old. Man, no kidding. It's like going there. to a Who concert. <laughs> all right, let's talk impeachment. Can you believe we made it all the way through the first part of the show without even talking impeachment? What does that tell you? Uh, it tells me nobody's paying attention. We've seen the ratings. We've seen the numbers. Yeah, it's a big deal. Obviously, it's a big deal. 
but I think they've lost the American people on this. Historic vote to impeach President Trump. Uh, we'll start with you. You got to go first last time. All right, you're up on this one. Well, your thoughts on what happened. We have the fourth president of the United States who has articles of impeachment drafted against him. We, we can all concede that President Trump is going to be impeached. He'll be the third president to be impeached. He will be acquitted in the United States Senate. Uh, we are a divided country. The rule of law doesn't matter to Republicans anymore. They're willing to justify anything. The Democrats are boxed in and really need to throw a little red meat to their constituency as well. I think that's what this is really all about for Nancy Pelosi. Now, John's going to sit there and tell us that this is bad politics for the Democrats. Yes. It was bad politics for the Republicans to be out on the border wall and to be out after minorities and saying that folks who were anti-Semitic and et cetera were good people. So, look, it's all about feeding your base, and that's what's up with what's happening right now. But what we do know is that we're going to have an impeached president, and this isn't going to be resolved until November of next year. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's for sure. Go back to late September, Brown. Uh, the ball. Uh, no, right here. Okay. Uh, the ball's in the air. The Democrats fielded at the goal line. Mm -hmm. All kinds of potential. They're running down the field with that ball. The crowd is going wild out there. The numbers to impeach the president are over 50% impeaching and removing. They're running down the field. And what we have witnessed over the last three weeks is a fumble. A fumble, and they have fumbled this ball badly. Uh, I looked at the real clear politics polling average. If you go back to October 1st and look at the pro-impeach and remove number, it's bumped up and down a little bit, but the, the trend line is clear, and it's clear in a downward direction. Uh, they have failed to make their case. They don't even have a crime in the, in the articles that are listed. And abuse of power? What president in our lifetime hasn't been accused of abuse of power? Every one of them, uh, spoiler alert. And, and then obstruction of Congress, when they didn't even go to the courts to, to force the president, to force the documents. That's what happened with Nixon. Nixon didn't turn over the stuff voluntarily. They had to go to court. And rather than go to court, they charged him with obstruction of Congress. This is a loser for Democrats. And it's, it's going to blow up on them, and it's going to blow up in the worst places possible, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin. All right, Senator Mitch McConnell spoke out this past week saying this thing is dead in the Senate no matter what the House does. Some D.C. reporters say this may be the quickest Senate impeachment process in history. A lot of fence-sitting Democrats say behind closed doors this is exactly what they were afraid of. Not a victory for the president, obviously, but he'll certainly spin it that way. John, you know, and I also understand the, the argument Michael's making here where this is when you got to throw politics out. If you think he broke the law, then you do what you, you're supposed to as, con as Congress members. But then you also have to go out and get reelected after this. It does put these people in a difficult position. And, and, and the people that gave the Democrats a majority in the Congress in 2018, it was not the AOCs of the world. It was moderate Democrats winning in suburban districts that had, had, were marginally Republican. Uh, and they've got dozens of them, dozens of them. And those are precisely the people that are potentially going to get burned in the backlash of this thing. Well, we shall see. There's Republicans who are vulnerable in the same spot. And there's also good-hearted and good, thoughtful, conscious Republicans who actually care about the rule of law, like a Mitt Romney, who's going to have to make a tough decision as well. I don't think this is going to be easy on a lot of those folks in the middle, John. Well, it, it could have been a tough decision, not with these articles. I mean, it's just not a tough decision. All right, still to come on Hancock and Kelly, I bet you just got that big bill in the mail asking you to pay your personal property taxes before the end of the year without a penalty. Is it time to get rid of that tax? If so, what will we do with the budgets of those local municipalities?
Do you get frustrated having to pay your personal property tax on your vehicle each and every year yes. right before Christmas? Yes. A Missouri State Senator has filed a bill to stop that. Republican Senator Bill Igel sponsored a bill that would ask voters to approve an amendment to the Constitution that would get rid of your annual bills for your vehicles. Uh, this is one that sounds good, it feels good. John, you're up first on this one. What are your thoughts? Does this have any chance of moving anywhere? Maybe. Uh, I mean, this is one of the most unpopular taxes that exists. There was a fellow that ran for governor of Virginia uh, about 15 years ago that got elected on getting rid of the car tax. Uh, and so it's an issue that's been around for a while. Wildly popular. Now, the question becomes, you know, are you just going to slash the county governments because that's what it would it basically would do, or, or uh, is there an alternative source of revenue? But in terms of popularity, this is an unpopular tax. See, but this is the problem that Senator Eigel has here is he's got a popular issue, but he doesn't have a solution to the problem. Now, this is coming from the people who want to say, Elizabeth Warren wants to give out. How is she going to pay for it? Well, how are we going to pay for it? This is what local government, look, there's an old expression, takes money to buy whiskey. You know, you got to have the money to be able to pay for the services. So where does it go? We're going to put it on sales taxes, further oppression on uh, on the people at the bottom scale of the of the economic ladder. I mean, come on, it, it, we've got to stop what's just going popular and be sensible. And I'd like to see you go after him the same way you're going after Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Well, if I didn't, for if I didn't have to pay all these taxes, Brown, I'd buy less whiskey. I mean, that's <laughs> exactly. a, that's the problem you got out there, that Kelly. That explains the show. But seriously, I mean, you know, you guys talk all the time. Well, how's this going to be paid for? How's it going to be paid for? How is it going to be paid for, Senator? Well, I would I would expect you would have to the counties would have to replace that money with a sales tax, which is a more popular form of taxation for people. Hmm. All right. One also, of the most this oppressive week, taxes to the people on well, the lowest so wage. Well, so is a car tax. I mean, you know, everybody's got a car out there. No, everybody doesn't have well, a car. Well, most everybody has a car. Also this week, a few more cases of why politicians need to stay away from Twitter. <laughs> Let's begin with Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate activist named Person of the Year by Time. She was the girl who spoke at the climate change event and is the youngest person to ever win the honor. So the president decided to sound off. He tweeted, so ridiculous. Greta must work on her anger management problem, then go to a good old-fashioned movie with a friend. Chill, Greta, chill. Then after a tragic shooting at a Jersey market, at a Jewish market in New Jersey, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib tweeted out, now this tweet is really unfortunate for many reasons, especially since it was later found that it was members of the black Hebrew Israelites that appeared to be responsible. She tweeted this, she says, this is heartbreaking, white supremacy kills. Okay, very quickly, the black Hebrew Israelites, if that sounds familiar, it should. That was the same group protesting on the day when the young men from Covington Catholic made the news. So instead of focusing on the real terrorist group, right there on the Capitol Mall, we obsessed on the wrong story. Again, now several people are dead. Uh, fellas, well, this is social media mob gone crazy in, in all these cases. The politicians need to stop, and the public needs to stop jumping on board. Well, the politicians need to stop, but it's a false equivalency to take one congressman and equate them to the same level of the President of the United States. President of the United States, most powerful human being on the planet, he's going after a 15-year-old girl. I mean, nothing surprises us, right? Didn't we know the second time announced it? Weren't you all just checking your Twitter? Because you knew the blow-up was going to come. This narcissist can't handle it. Look, I'm off of social media. I appreciate being a voyeur and watching the stuff on there. But it is messing with people's brains and point in case of two people, perfect evidence. Right. And, John, what, what makes me so angry about this is the media, social media, all ganged up on the Covenant Catholic kids right. and then the Native American. Meanwhile, an actual terrorist group was standing right there. Nobody looked at them. They go to a Jewish market in New Jersey and shoot up the place. Uh, it's, it's horrible. I mean, that is it's really wrong. Yeah, and there, there's so much jumping to conclusions. You know, all of us have our own viewpoints. 
And you know, it would do us all a lot of good in the in the in the midst of these tragedies as they're happening to take a step back and let the facts come out because the facts will come out uh, before pontificating and, and it, so forth. As it relates the to the only, president, yeah, okay. As it relates to the president, um, you know, he does stuff like this, and it, that's the reason he's never going to get above 42 or 43 percent uh, favorable rating. And you know, this girl, I don't agree with her politics. But, you know, she suffers from Asperger's. I don't know if you knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, this is the, the things the you child. don't do. Don't do it. Yeah, things you don't, you don't do, do. it. All right, still to come on Hancock and Kelly, it is time for Final Thoughts. Stick around. We will be right back here on your Sunday morning. Favorite part of the show. This is why people record the entire show, just to watch this one segment here. <laughs> True story. Uh, you're up first. Final thought time. Well, watch what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, right? We're going to see the charade that's going to happen on both sides of the aisle as it relates to impeachment. As you watch this, regardless of what side of it you're on, pay attention because soon impeachment's going to be happening to the next president and it's going to be on similar issues. And will your rhetoric for your side be the same? I doubt it. You know, Brown, yes. sometimes we don't realize when in the moment we're sitting in the presence of greatness. Clearly. And, you know, who was the guy that had the great big noses on all of his little drawings out there? Oh, God. Who was that guy? That was uh, uh, oh, Picasso. Lord. Oh, Picasso. Yeah, you remember, he did, yeah, he did he all right. Great. He sold yeah. some artwork yeah, out there. And you had that other guy that had the little lilies in the, in the splotchy paint and yeah, on the Monet. thing. That was Monet. old Monet. Uh, he did all right with his... He had the guy that cut his ear off out there, the yeah. uh, uh, whatever his name was. Yeah. You know, all of these guys are great artists. Go down through history. Okay. We are sitting next to Michael Kelly. <laughs> All right? Just soak that in, Brown. This man is producing <laughs> artwork today that a hundred years from now will be sold for millions and millions of dollars. He gets up in his little, in his little boxer shorts there, Brown, and he puts the ink on the canvas. What he's producing is unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're going to start selling it online. You're painting you got any up? pictures of it? I mean, I, I, I don't. But you'd love to see it. <laughs> well, I, well, we'll tweet them out. Make sure you follow these guys on social oh, media. I tweeted one out. Oh, What's it's called it. okay. Flowers in the Pot. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's tough. It's tough, first of all, to get through final thoughts, but to be between these two every week. Hey, thanks for watching Hancock and Kelly. If you missed any part of the show, download it on your smartphone. Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace is next. Oh, we'll Lord. You.